Great. All right. Well, let's dive in this morning. Um, so I'll never forget when I was 17 years old, we're at a car auction in Atlanta, Georgia. And Bishop Brothers and my dad is there because there are some boats that are going to the auction. I think most of you know my dad bought and sold boats. He had a boat dealership. And so he was buying boats so he could turn around and sell them. And there was a Mazda RX-7, a 1986 Mazda RX-7, right? How many of you remember the Mazda RX-7 back in the day? It was the newer body style, right? The newer body style, which meant it was awesome, right? And it was there for sale. So I looked at my dad and said, you should buy that for me. And he kind of just laughed. He said, well, I'll tell you this. I'll give this amount of money for it. And it was like, this is, this is what they probably would have sold it for. This is what it was worth, right? And he put a number way down here. I'm like, I'm like, you, you're going to do it? If it sells for that, will you buy it? He goes, absolutely. So the auction starts. I don't know, I don't know, what everything got going on. And he just starts the bidding with that number. And he goes, sold, right? I'm like, yes, <laughs> right? It was such a great moment, right? And so we get ready to go home. So I'll drive my car home and he goes steve do you know what to stick and i'm like oh <laughs> all right how many of you are going to drive us five speed yes because you're a good american and so in that right it's like yeah there was this I was a stick i couldn't drive a stick and they were driving a stick i thought like it was an automatic i like automatics things are automatic or easy but it was not an automatic so i'm literally driving my dad's truck come look in the rearview mirror i see him driving my monster rx7 and i'm like oh like I was dying on the inside. We get home. I just look at the car. I sit in the car. I'm like, oh, I crank it up, rev the engine, right? I'm like, but I can't drive. And so literally we're sitting there eating dinner that night, right? Sitting there eating dinner that night. And I just get this thing. And I just say, I just say to myself, I'm going to drive my car. So I looked over at my dad. I said, listen, I'm done eating. If you don't mind, I'm going to go drive my Mazda RX-7 until I feel capable and good at driving my Monster X7. I'm going, to drive, I'm going to drive it. I'm not coming home until I can drive it. And my dad had the thing with his dad's son was like, you do that, right? Super proud of me, right? Stepping up. And so I literally, thankfully, it was a hill down, right? So it was a hill down. This kind of just like kind of glided down to the bottom. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me, right? And so I did that whole thing because you all know driving a five-speed is all about the shifting of gears, right? And so I did the one, and I got it, right? And I, t- and I'm, but I took off and kept on going, right? And you know, it gets a little bit easier from there. So I drove and drove and drove and drove. So for 45 minutes, I came home. I got on my driveway just like this, and I, like, started and went, started and went ten different times. Drove to the very top, got out, felt accomplished, walk in. My dad gave me a high five and said, there you go, right? This morning, all of that to simply say, and important to say, this morning I'm asking you to shift gears. I'm asking you to shift gears. We've been talking about momentum for the last ever how many weeks at Vintage. And momentum's been about this, like, hey, this, we believe God's doing this work. We believe that God's making this happen. We want to be a people of his presence because we believe in his presence. That's where movement begins to stir. Josh came and talked about the slingshot effect. How many of you would say in the slingshot effect, you're in that moment of being pulled back where things are difficult and you're ready for God to release you into forward momentum, right? It's one of those difficult places. And so, and then last week... Logan came and talked about what does it look like to be the nature of blessing, the nature of blessing in our life in the context of, of, our, of our momentum. It's a beautiful piece. And this morning, the shift is very simple. The shift now is to a point of action, a point of action. 
a, a step of now personal responsibility. Scripture says that we, we co-labor with Jesus, right? He invites us into the work that he's doing across the world and the work he's even doing in our life. He's looking for partnership. He's looking for our investment. He's looking for our energy. He's looking for us to come and engage him in the things that he's doing alongside of him. And I believe the primary action that we give ourselves to This is not going to be rocket science, but I'm asking you to receive this if it's the first time you've ever heard it. The step that we take, the action we need to give ourselves to that propels us with momentum forward is a life of prayer. It's a life of prayer. A life where we are coming and giving ourselves, we're going to talk about this for the upcoming weeks, but a life of prayer. Prayers I see it in in any culture, any religion, I always see prayer, honestly, as just a natural response that, that the most pious bring to the table. And honestly, at certain points, the most worldly and atheistic people bring at some point of time in the relationship, in the, in the nature of their life, right? That we have these moments where everyone, again, has these desperate moments have these desperate moments, and those desperate moments, they, they don't know what to do. All of a sudden, they feel out of control, and they have this moment in their atheistic lack of belief in anything out there. They just cry out, almost every single one of them, almost every single person. I can't say every person because I don't know them all, but I would say every person at some point in time when some drastic, dramatic, overwhelming situation occurs in life, they find themselves going, I don't believe in you, but, and then they say, would you please move? Because there's always a natural inclination in every single person that when something gets outside of their control, they want to go to something or someone who has control. The second piece, everyone has moments where they are amazed. They're blown away by some level of beauty in the world that compels them to say, wow, and to feel small. To feel small. To question that moment, is there really a God? Because it's seemingly too beautiful, too majestic, too powerful, too overwhelming for there not to be something out there. I was reading a story the other day of a woman who literally had given birth to her first child. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have a boyfriend even to share life with. But she's standing in the nursery of her, of her house with her baby, and she's looking at the baby. And all of a sudden, and every mom and every dad can attest to this, there's that moment when you just look at your newborn and you are just undone. I don't care if it's your child. I don't care if it's someone else's child even sometimes, right? You just look. You got Janet back here at the baby, right? We're just looking, go, oh, right? And we're just amazed. We're blown away. But as a parent, especially, you're like, I can't believe that we can help create this. And, oh, my gosh. I mean, I just can tell you the moments where I just looked at my girls when they were little, going, oh, I don't deserve this. And I was blown away by the beauty. And the story goes, this woman's there in the nursery looking at her newborn and, All of a sudden, she was just undone and overwhelmed by the beauty of her child. To the point she just said, wow, this felt compulsion. And she just said, I I don't know what's out there, but I don't deserve this. And I'm just thankful. And this woman said, all of a sudden, something filled my room. And she said, I, in that moment, gave my life to Jesus. And she's, I've been a Christian now for over 20 years and serving the church because 
in a prayer moment, God reached out to her and she just said, wow, the beauty, the majesty. Everyone has moments where they get lucky, quote unquote, right? Or they have that near-death experience that causes them to say thank you to the thing or to the person that protected them. Never forget watching Oprah Winfrey back in the 80s, whenever she first came out, and she was, it was Roger Mount St. Helens. Was that night? What year was that? Somebody, was it 86, 87, something like that? Anyway, I don't remember. Look it up. Don't tell me, though. Anyway, uh, so it was like, you know, but you remember that moment, for those of you who were old enough, like Mount St. Helens exploded, right? And she had this guy on the show, and he said, I'm sitting there taking photos of something, and all of a sudden there's an explosion, smoke billows out, I feel warmth, I see lava coming around me, and all of a sudden the smoke clears, and I realize that every single place around me is covered in lava, and I'm in a spot about five by five that has a small little pathway out where I am not alive because of this small little thing, right? Everyone's like, he goes, I just don't know what that was, but someone had to be looking out for me, Right? And my mom's going, it's Jesus, idiot. No, it's like, you know, I'm getting that. It was just that moment, <laughs> right? Because we know what that is. And he's just like, not even, he's just like, there's just something. That's the nature of prayer. He's like, I was, he just said, I, he was just undone. So the natural responsibility of every single human being, because we've been designed in the image of God with the desire for God to have, relate, for us to have a relationship with him, there's this longing, there's this inkling, there's this natural response to some form of prayer. And this lady said one time, an author, I don't know the name of the book, but she summed up prayer simply as, it's just a help or thanks or a wow that you just expound upon. That's what this piece is. We have this naturally. To be honest with you, if you're looking for a nice, quote-unquote, evangelistic tool, you can say, well, hey, you know, I, I just believe that everyone's naturally drawn to God. Talk about the moment. That you, this is like, like you're prophetic. Tell me about the moment when you had like that help, thanks, or wow moment with some being you didn't even believe in. Like, what do you mean? And then unpack what I just said. Because every single one of them had that because there's this inkling for something. It's called prayer. From those pious to the most worldly. Now, we know that prayer is obviously so much more than this. In the world of Jesus, I've always believed that prayer, here, this is the mark of a lover. That prayer is the mark of a lover. That those who love Jesus naturally slow down in everyday life, prioritize him and make time to spend with him. Prayer is the mark of a lover. I don't know about you, but the more I love someone, the more I devote energy and time to that relationship. It's just the nature of what it is, right? Prayer is the mark of a lover. I believe prayer exposes our heart condition, our heart condition. The more we pray, the more central our need for and trust of Jesus is. We pray because there's need. We pray because there's something lacking. We pray because there's distance. We pray because we can't make things happen. We pray because we don't have control. Therefore, I think that honestly is a sign of our heart that the more pride we have where we trust self, the less we pray. So a prayerful life is a prayer, a life of saying we trust Jesus more than we trust our own abilities. Right? Does that make sense? I'm actually willing to stop and to slow down and trust Jesus' ability rather than lean into and trust my own ability. So prayer exposes our heart condition. 
Prayer exposes our trust of Jesus over our trust of self. Prayer was practiced by Jesus. You've read through the Gospels, right? It was practiced by Jesus as a primary attribute of his life. He practiced what we call today the daily office. He would, like every good Jew, stop three times a day. I don't care if he was in the biggest meeting of his life. He'd say, whoops, I know the meeting's important, but God is more important. So I'm going to stop what I'm doing to recognize he's more important and bigger than he has control. I can trust him with everything in my life, even this meeting, because he's in control. So I'm going to pray, connect with him, and know him. So Jesus, three times a day, stopping to pray like every other good Jew, honestly, like all the disciples, probably stopping three times a day. You see Peter and John putting down their nets three times a day just to go pray. I want you to know when I stop, when I, when I fish, I stop three times and pray every time. Just kidding. I don't do that. Here we go. They're more holy than I am. But they did that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take long when we read through the scriptures to see Jesus had a unique He had a fruitful prayer life. The understatement of the year, isn't it? The prayer life of Jesus, it was unique and unbelievably fruitful. This morning, I want to build a foundation around prayer that we will work off for the upcoming weeks. But I want to begin by reading the most familiar prayer, the most important prayer in all of the world. There's multiple places in the Gospels. I'm reading from Luke 11, 1 through 4. This is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. It says, one day, this will be on the screen for us, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Very familiar. You could quote it. I could quote it my eyes closed. Probably you could too. The request, the thing, here's the thing. So let's just begin with the request. The request of the disciples is an interesting one. First, because each of these men had grown up in a cult. Listen, each of these men had grown up in a culture where prayer was practiced and prayer was seen all the time. I'm sure all of them had praying moms, praying Jewish moms, right? Moms pray differently than dads most of the time, right? They're just praying all the time. I'm sure they had praying Jewish moms. They had seen and heard the religious leaders and priests praying in the temple, seen it modeled for them all the time. Probably as good Jews, they had probably learned the Psalms, the the songs and the, the prayers of David. They could probably quote some of them. And like Jesus and like them, they probably stopped, like I said, three times a day to pray. Prayer would have been nothing new to them. Just like you. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, someone has talked to you about having a prayer life. Never forget, Mark McCoy, 7th and 6th grade, right? 6th, 7th, 8th grade. We had this, like, we had this family camp over at Shaco Springs in Alabama, right? We had this moment where all of a sudden we're praying. A guy named Glenn Shepard, who kind of led some sort of massive prayer movement. It's a buddy of mine's dad. Like, Glenn's up there. And he's leading our time. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God starts doing something. 
I say the Spirit of God starts doing something. They just begin to pray, and all of a sudden, we're like, what's going on? Like, we felt like wind was literally blowing through our room. Literally, this is what happened. And we're like, what do we do? What do we do? So we all got into naturally just, without anyone telling us, we got into groups of four, and we to cry out to Jesus together. I looked at my dad and said, Dad, Dad, revival's come. This is what we've been praying for. Seventh grade. It was such a powerful, amazing moment. We prayed for this kid, Rio, right? For this kid, Rio, anybody named Rio is going to hell. He needed to come to heaven, right? No, we're praying for Rio. I'm just kidding, right? But I'm praying for Rio. He's the one non-Christian kid on our trip. We're praying for Rio, praying for Rio. Pray, God, save him. We're like, we got to go find him. If we can just get him into our room, he'll get saved. We're like, okay, let's go find Rio. We go out. We're like, ooh, ooh, like this. All of a sudden, the door to the elevator opens, and Rio's on it. Oh my gosh, Jesus! And Rio goes, What is going on? We literally drag him into our prayer room, right? We draw him into the freaky, charismatic prayer room, right, where God's doing something. And he's just looking at us like this, and we're just praying for him and laying hands on him and slapping him across the face, right? Give your life to Jesus. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know, Rio's getting up to put his hands in there and run out of the room as fast as he can. Right? Next night, we happen to be in the prayer event. It got boring. So I left. I walked outside, and Rio was there, and I led him to Jesus. God took our crazy time. Crazy. Scared him half to death, but it awakened him. And I just led him to Christ, and he goes, what's happening to me? I'm like, what are you talking about? Every single part of my body is tingling right now, and I don't know what to do. Is it a good feeling? It's like it's the best feeling I've ever had since it's called Jesus, right? There was something different about that prayer time. They understood prayer, just like all of us. But they saw Jesus, and something was different. I want you to hear me say, I don't care what your prayer life is like. There is something in prayer that's deeper than you've ever touched or dreamed imaginable. And it's available in this season. They had been given to it all. They had more prayer in their everyday life than all of us. And they looked at Jesus, which is the second thing. It means they saw something unique in the prayer life that would have drawn them in and that was attractive. It is true that every rabbi would come and take their people and teach them their prayer, like their prayer style, how they pray. We see that in John. John, in the first verse of chapter 11 of Luke, had just taught his disciples how to pray. And they're saying, hey, would you do the same thing for us? But I have to assume, I have to assume when they saw Jesus' prayer life that there was something unique they had never seen. I mean, think about it. They'd already seen Jesus pray and cast out demons, pray and heal Simon's mother-in-law, pray and heal a leper, pray and heal a paralyzed man, pray from a distance and see the centurion guard's daughter healed, pray and calm the storms, pray and multiply the loaves and the fishes. And this is just in the book of Luke. At the same time, the gospel writer spoke again and again and again, Luke does too, about Jesus pulling away in the morning, the evening, in the desert, in the garden to be alone with God, right? Yes, his prayer life was marked by the miraculous, but his personal prayer time was also marked by an intimacy. And I think it left a mark on them so much so that they felt compared to always talk about it whenever they talked about Jesus and his prayer life. And Jesus pulled away. We all love 
Like I have to, the only time we know what Jesus prayed in the personal prayer time was when he invited Peter, James, and John to go with him into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the one time we get to hear what Jesus was praying in an intimate relationship with the Father. I would think that before they fell asleep, it was powerful to them. But here's the unbelievable thing. They asked Jesus to teach them. Jesus had modeled it for him. Jesus then taught them. And here's the thing about it. This should shock you. This should challenge you, but hopefully excite you. you got to know, the disciples were not prime candidates to be amazing prayer warriors. They were ignorant fishermen. They were tax collectors, right? They were zealots. Basically, I mean, they were terrorists. There's nothing about them that made them any more prime to be great, fruitful prayer warriors than any of us in this room. But the thing that is to excite us, challenge us, the disciples did learn how to pray like Jesus. As you read to the early part of the book of Acts, to the apostles and the people of the church, they pray, people get healed, demons cast out, buildings are shaken, prison chains fall off, prison doors open, they would pray, and people would be saved, people would be filled with God's Spirit. Then even more powerful than that is their lives have been so changed by Jesus, by their own time of intimacy with God, that when they were held captive in preparation, because all of them were martyrs, in preparation for martyrdom, like Jesus They would pray for their captors and those that were torturing them that God would save them and that God would love them. May that be a mark for us. How well do you pray for your enemies? And that is a gauge to the level of prayer growth that you have in your life. I know it is for me. Every time I drive down the road and that person cuts me off, I'm like, I'm so far from Jesus. i got to grow my prayer life, right? It was something they learned, something they practiced. It was something they grew grew in. It was something that was very fruitful in their life. And I think that's the word for me. That's a goal, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in prayer. With that in mind this morning, I want to give us this an introductory breakdown of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to break it down in the upcoming weeks, but I want to make prayer very accessible for each of us. And then again, dive deeper as we move on. I've always said, probably quoting someone who I don't remember, but it's on the screen. It's simply this prayer. Prayer is something easy enough for a child to do, but complex enough that you can spend the rest of your life reading about it, studying it, and growing in it. This is a true statement. The first thing I want to make clear is prayer is simply speaking to and listening to God. Like prayer is just a word we use, but really it's just talking to God. It's just talking to God. Kids kill speaking to God. You ever sat with a kid on the bed at night and say, let's pray. They're like, okay. They start praying for the dog. They start praying for the cat. They start praying for the pet gerbil. They're praying for mom. They're praying for dad, grandma, and grandpa, right? They're praying for those who, those who are hurting in foreign countries, whatever they can, you know, if they're, whatever it is, right? Like they just start praying to God, no barriers, right? And then sometimes, I don't know about you, I've had those moments where all of a sudden you're like, kid, here's the voice of Jesus, while they're praying at like five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, and they share something with you that's the most profound thing you've ever heard in your life. 
never forget how I forget how old Anna Catherine was, but she was very young, not old enough in my mind to be able to connect to this. And I'd have one of those mornings where I had preached a sermon that I felt God had given me a word about, and I was caught flack from it. Like people weren't happy with me. People were texting me. They were talking to me. They were emailing me. Right? It was just one of those sermons. I don't get a ton of those, but I get them every now and then. Right? And I was really wrestling. I felt so clearly from the Lord that what I had shared was from him as a prophetic word to kind of pierce the moment, right? And so I'm sitting there, but I'm wrestling. I'm having this tension. You ever have that? You speak something, and you're like, you know you should have the attention about it later, so I'm having that moment. I'm putting the girls to bed, and if I'm completely honest, as I'm like reading the books and praying for them and stuff, it's like all I can think about is this tension, this moment. And so I put Sarah down first, and I come into Anna Catherine's room. I don't know where Randall was. We could take turns on putting our kids down sometimes, and so maybe this, or maybe she was out of town, or something. I don't know. But I'm putting them down this morning at nine. So I go in, put Catherine down, turn the lights off. Da 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 da. I'm walking out, and she says, "Dad, I just want you to know how much." She says, "I want you to know how proud I was of you for sharing what you shared this morning." I just felt like I felt like God wanted me to tell you that. And I just, like, teared up. I said, babe, I, I, I thank you. And I look, I'm telling you, she wasn't like she was 14. She was little. And I'm not moaning. I'm like, and I've walked away going, God, you just spoke to my daughter. You gave her a word of knowledge in the moment to encourage me. Not that I walked away going, yeah, take that, people. It's like, God, thank you. <laughs> Right? Thank you, God. I didn't miss you because I was so sure that I heard you. Right? Our kids. So, <clears throat> prayer is talking with and listening to God just like you do with your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, etc. every day. Prayer is simply talking where you speak and you listen. And so when talking, so when, when talking with God, I want to kind of give a four-step piece to kind of help you like, so Steve, what do I do when I go into my prayer time? So one, find a place. These are always the practical pieces. Find a place, right? Remove distractions. So turn your phone off or turn it on silent. Put it in a separate room. Never take your phone with you to your prayer room, right? It will distract you. Take it away and put it over here, right? And then you do four, I'm going to invite you to do four things. You don't have to do this. This isn't magical. This isn't the, like the equation for perfect prayer. It's just an, an opportunity or something that I commit to. If you give yourself to these things, when you pray, it will be fruitful. And it's an acronym. It makes it super easy. I don't ever do acronyms. I stole it from Pete Grieg. Have you ever heard of Pete Grieg? wrote a book called 24-7 Prayer, right? Uh, Red Moon Rising. He wrote a book, and I encourage all of you to read it, How to Pray. A Simple Guide for Normal People. How many of you, if I bought that book at Vintage, how many of you would be interested in purchasing that? Because I'm making do that for next week. Okay, you've committed to buy all those books. Thank you. We'll buy some and have them for next week. So remind me, uh, April and Randall, to do that. All right. So he comes down and kind of breaks it down from the Lord's Prayer. So the first thing he does is P. So it's P-R-A-N-Y. Pray. That's how you spell it. P is pause. In verse, verse 2 of Luke 11, Jesus says, so when you pray, how many of you know that when you go to pray, what do you do? You have to pause. You have to stop what you're doing 
You have to stop what you're thinking about. You have to turn your attention and put it over here into this mode of talking to God, right? It's the idea of slowing down and talking to him. It's meant to help us. Listen, and the pausing means to help us make us fully present in place and time so your scattered thoughts and interests can be quieted so you can see Jesus, talk to, and listen to him. Let's talk to our parents real quick. They're like, we'll explain that. Super simple. Remember, you know, every single day of your life, when you have your little ones and you're focused on something super, super important, right? Like for me, like Georgia football or bass fishing, right? And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I recognize a small little voice of you going, Dad, 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 right? And I realize for the 15th time they've been saying my name and I've been fully focused over here on something super important, right? And so what do I do? It's the same thing we all do when our kids do that. I go like this, I go, right, kind of breathe in. I gather my thoughts, I release Georgia football, I turn, and I try to give them my full, undivided attention. Right? That's what it means to pause. You do that with God. You're like, I'm going through life. You kind of breathe in. Just put stuff over here. I look over and say, Jesus. I center, I slow down, I focus. We all do it. Breathe, like literally, that's why we breathe in. Exhale because we count to ten, releasing things so that we can be focused with things. First thing is you pause. Second thing is rejoice. Verse 2 goes on to say, Father, hallowed be your name. So we rejoice. We rejoice, right? The next step of prayer is to worship him. So I come in, I pause, and I begin to talk about how great he is and how great our relationship is, right? I talk about the things I appreciate. God, thank you for this. I remember the stories from yesterday. I just thank him for being powerful, for caring. Toby said, talking about being sovereign in the middle of all of our chaos. God's sovereign. He's Lord. He's in control. He's over all things. I begin to say, God, I'm just so thankful that you are sovereign. You're Lord. You're king. You're good. And remember, like, when you're so, what do you do with your best friends, like, with your best friends from like 20 or 30 years ago, you get together over coffee, you get together over food, and somewhere along the conversation, what do you start doing? You start talking about the good old days, don't you? And you start telling the stories of the good old days, and you all of a sudden kind of come alive talking about the good old days and the things that you did and the things you laughed about and the fun that you had and the serious ones you had together. That's what it means to all rejoice. I get together with God, and I just talk about the good old days. You remember that time, God, you did this. God, you're just so good. I'm so thankful for the way that you moved in this. God, I'm so thankful for the way that you moved yesterday and a month ago and a year ago and five years ago. God, you're just so good. You're rejoicing by remembering the goodness of God and celebrating it and talking to him about it and just talking about how great he is for being a loving, kind, compassionate, invested God. I'll be honest with you. The most exciting part of prayer is always the rejoicing because it's so easy to get lost in the goodness and the beauty and the majesty of God and just remembering and retelling the old stories. Third piece, third piece, it's ask. That's the A, ask. Super simple. This is what you're used to. Verse 2 and 3 says, your kingdom come, 
guff it, and it goes on to say, you will be done on earth as is in heaven and other gospels. Give us each day our daily bread. This is the part we're used to, asking God for help. It's broken down into two pieces. One word's intercession. Intercession is simply us praying for other people. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're always praying for things outside of yourself. You're praying for the Ukraine. You're praying for the students that your friends are, your kids are friends with. You're praying for other people. Then you come into the petition. The petition is praying for ourselves. That's what our daily bread is. God, I'm praying for my needs, my felt needs, the things that I need, right? So you're praying, you're asking. So you begin, you pause, you rejoice, you ask. And then the fourth part, why, is just you yield. You yield. Yield, verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is the prayer of surrender to God, where we surrender to God through our confession of brokenness and our areas of struggle with sin. Yielding is imperative. Yielding is I'm coming before God, and I'm surrendering to him. I said, and God, all of these things are impossible apart from you. If you come into prayer telling God what he has to do and trying to control God by your words and how you pray, it's not going to go well. You're not yielded. You're trying to boss God around. And the yielding part is coming and saying, I am, fi- I, listen, I am finite. I struggle with sin. I have sin issues. I have things I'm drawn to in temptation. And God, I even know in my weakness, I'm going to fall into all of them apart from your strength. So I yield myself to your ability, to your lordship, your kingship. I surrender my will. I surrender my opinions. I surrender to the the keys to my heart and to my mind and to my will and to my emotions. I surrender all of these things to you, God. Because when you release things, God fills you. The yielding is about surrender, and then God's faithfulness is he always fills you. Luke 11, at the very end, goes on to say, And you, being evil fathers and mothers compared to God's goodness, will still give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask he wants to always fill you our role is just to get rid of everything that gets in the way of him filling us we yield we surrender we submit ourselves we come and say you're boss and king and lord i'm on my knees surrendering i'm just thankful i get to do it in your presence because you love me so much because you're awesome so we yield with an expectation and so when you go to pray here's what i'm asking this week practice practice this. I'm going to be intentional with pausing. I'm going to be intentional with rejoicing. I'm going to be intentional about asking with, 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 the, with the petition and the intercession. And I'm going to make time to yield by recognizing the things that keep me from being whole and complete and surrender all my life to Jesus. And then just see what happens. That's why he shared the Lord's prayer. The expectation of Jesus wasn't that we would just go around praying the Lord's prayer. He was giving you the model of how you pray. Nothing wrong with going and speaking the words of Jesus and quoting the Lord's Prayer. It's powerful. I found myself in my life just quoting the Shema all the time. The Lord our God is one, and he is good, right, from, from Deuteronomy. I'm coming over here, and I'm praying the Lord's Prayers. There's something so powerful in that, right? I'm praying the psalm that's beautiful. But 
But the expectation is saying, hey, just a model. First, I want you to pause. Then I want you to rejoice. Then I want you to ask. And then I want you to yield. I can take you one minute, five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, an hour, two hours. And here's the beautiful piece. Two-hour prayers aren't loved by Jesus more. They aren't. Now, they that's beautiful. If they have time, like if you have small kids, you're like, if I get five, like i got to pray in the bathroom by myself and lock that door. So I get to myself all day long without someone touching me. All right, I get that. <laughs> Prayer honestly comes by season sometimes. Season of life. Like, like, listen, when you're retired and all your kids are gone, you can pray longer. And you got kids, five kids, you're like, mom, mom, dad, dad. You're like, oh, my gosh, right? You know what I'm getting at. So, in season. So this morning, Boss RX-7, let's just shift gears. Let's stop talking about momentum and stop being honest about where we are. That's great. God knows where we are, and you can continue to tell him when you're in petition pieces. But let's just begin to have fruitful prayer lives that go from being like the disciples who are over here completely clueless about what to do or actually knowing but not doing it well, then all of a sudden growing into a prayer life like Jesus to the point when Jesus says this, listen, it's good that I go because then the things that I do, listen, you can do even greater things than these. How? By building a prayer life and praying them into existence. It's the miraculous and it's the intimacy. That's the aspiration. It's a result of growing in prayer, right? Prayer is the key act we devote ourselves to that leads to the fruitfulness we see in the lives of Jesus and the apostle in the lives of the early church. We can be like them. You can pray. Oh, man, this is, this is important. I'm not asking you to pray like the apostles. I'm telling you, you can pray like Jesus. That's the point. You can pray like Jesus. Jesus taught them because he knew it was possible. And they did. I'm just inviting you to that. You can pray like Jesus. It's something that can be taught, we can learn, we can practice, we can grow in until kingdom fruit is produced. Let's do it. Let's do it. Father, as, uh, as we come into this time of worship and of ministry, Lord, we are, we are praying. Every time we gather, we pray in these moments because we want to see you move. God, we, want, we talk about prayer this morning and about the pray, the pray for Me campaign because we believe that when we pray for our children, our prayers are powerful and effective and they availeth much. Father, we pray because we want to know you intimately because there is nothing better Listen, there's nothing that crushes rejection than in prayer hearing God say, are you kidding me? I think you're awesome and I love you. And all rejection, the arrows of the enemy just pulled out and they fade away and we come confidently in the, as an image bearer of the king saying, oh no, I'm a child of God. It's birthed out of a life of prayer. And so, God, I just pray for each person here. Lord, would you awaken each of us, Jesus, to the understanding we can pray like you. Awaken us, challenge us, change us, speak to us, Lord. Open up our ears to hear you, Lord, this morning. God, I pray for each person. 
God, I think you would say this to each person. Uh, I think you would say this to every single person in the room. Ah, I love your prayer life. I don't care who they are, God. I think you say, I love your prayer life. But I want to take you places you've never been. The first part this morning is it requires, I would say, beginning with surrender. You have to surrender your pride. God, you know better than I do. And God, if I stop the things that I think need me, Because I need you. Those things are going to be okay. Because you're Lord over them. The biggest prayer point. I think in our culture. We so trust self and our own abilities. We think people need us. And what they really need is. Jesus. And we need to go be with Jesus. So we can soak you in. So we actually have something to give away. So change us this morning Lord. Make us people of prayer. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ministry team is going to go ahead and come forward. They haven't already. Communion is available every Sunday. We invite you to come and partake of the body of Christ that's broken. Blood of Jesus poured out. We ask that you take it, that you remember, that you remember what Jesus has done. But remembrance isn't just about a head thing. Remembrance is, as I remember, then it changes the very fabric of my being to recognize he is Lord and I am not. I celebrate that. As I do, there's a grace. There's a work of blessing that God pours out into your life. As you take communion this morning, come with expectation of God's grace being poured out as you surrender yourself again to his lordship. Ministry teams, we just want to pray for you. We want to pray for anything that's going on in your life, needs that you have. We just want to petition the Lord, intercede on behalf of you this morning as we come and pray to the Lord. Our, our, our prayer is this, and I'll say this. Fruitfulness is, hear this, it's super important right here. Focus, last thing I'll say. Fruitfulness means that the miraculous breaks out and intimacy is cultivated. Last thing. Charles Finney is part of a church as an unbeliever. And he said, the number one thing that kept me from becoming a believer was the unanswered prayer from all the prayer meetings. Because I thought if there really was a God, and they've been asking so long, why haven't why hasn't he moved? And all of a sudden God began to stir in me, so I went off into the woods. And I said, God, if you are real, show me. All of a sudden, he said, like waves of liquid love that began to pour over him to the point where he had to ask God to stop because he was undone. And he came back into the church and says, guys, I commit to pray now with you. We're going to pray for God's fruit to be released. And it was the start of the second great awakening. Can we just, be, can we just commit to not go be the Charles Finney's of the world? Here's what I'm asking. Just commit to take one step of prayer this morning. That's it. Let's see what God does. All right, you respond as the Lord leads, I'll come pray us out here.